so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Now I've got this thing that Steve wants to hear about these 40 days. I don't know. We'll see how we go. I, I was preparing this and I had a question which I will ask in a moment. But as I prepared it and got to the end of the week, we were praying up here this morning for Tim Keller, who, one of God's generals who went to be with the Lord. And I love Tim Keller's stuff. And I, you know, he, he wrote a book, we were talking about it just before, The Prodigal God. And I used to think about Prodigal Psalm. But when you, you get into Tim Keller, he's, he's a man, of, we, he's all lost, but it's God's gain. But it's like, he knew, he knew that this was coming because of his, his illness. And he never, to the end, he never wavered. He always professed, he knew where he was going and he served God to the end. But the question I had when I was preparing this was, imagine feeling strange going to the doctor and then the doctor refers you to a specialist and then the specialist comes back to you and says, I'm sorry, you've only got 40 days to live. What would you do? What would you do with those 40 days? And people would go jump and go, what's on my bucket list? And they go, really? As believers, would we go to a bucket list? And that's like, isn't that crazy? Because we know where we're going. What would we want to do for those 40 days that we were hanging around and, and Jesus had 40 days, and we're going to look at those in a moment. But we were talking, Pam and I, and we just as I was preparing, and I asked him, so what would you do? And some of the things we talked about was, I'd spend quality time with those I loved. I'd just hang out. I'd show real love to those around me. We should really do that. You know? God calls us to love, love our enemies, but I'd show love, and sometimes I'd show special care to put right the relationships that maybe had gone a bit awry. There was broken relationships. I would spend those 40 days trying to mend those because you don't want to leave this planet without fixing those up. I'd want to leave a legacy, a legacy around and, and, and teach important truths. And I've been blessed. My spiritual dad, our spiritual dad, went to be with the Lord. Four years, four years ago, next week, I did his funeral. He went to be with the Lord um, about a month ago. And when... When we spent time in those days leading up to that, it was like this. It was like, what would you talk about? We talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about the truth. And then maybe you'd, you'd actually want to prepare your loved ones for the loss, for the grief. But you'd want to prepare them and have time with them. And also, I think you'd assure them. As believers, we can assure each other. And we're praying it this morning. At least we know we're going to meet Tim Keller and all those God's generals. We're going to meet Jesus face to face when it's our time. So it was all these things, if you, had, if you knew you had 40 days left to do, what would you do? And if you read, if you dig out this, this is really what Jesus was talking about. He came back for 40 days. And we read it at the end of the Gospels and we read it in Acts. It was clear, if you read through those, it's clear why Jesus hung around for another 40 days. I've got another picture. If you, you were in a, a business, some people in here are in businesses. And you're running a business and you're going away for a year, just one year. Jesus went away for a few more. He's coming back. As Eliza said this morning, he's coming back. We, we can be secure in that. But you're going away and you've got this really successful business. And it's really, it's really doing well. And you're going to leave it in the hands of all your trusted men and women. So you call them into the boardroom. And you start to explain, I'm going away for a year and here's some things you need to do. And you look up and you see their faces and you see all the... All the confusion that you're leaving. All that worry and disillusionment. What, you're going? You're the leader. And that was just like the disciples in John 20, verse 19. 
Jesus appeared to his disciples. He said, one evening on the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for the, for the fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and he stood in the middle of them and he said, peace be with you. He kind of walked through a wall because they were locked up in a room with the doors sealed and the windows sealed, hiding from the Jews. They were fearful. They were worried. And their savior walks straight through the wall and says, peace be with you. I think I'd freak out. I'd be like, what? But Jesus could do that. He could do that because he had a glorified body. We'll talk about that a bit more. But Jesus had to clarify to his disciples, why am I come back? He could have gone up to, sat at the right hand of the Father, and he could have hung out there and said, oh, I'll direct this. But no, he, he came back for these 40 days. And it was important for the disciples then, and I think it's important for us now, to understand why Jesus came back. Why did he do that in Acts 1 to 9, which we read, it started off in my former book. So this is Luke talking in my former book, in the book of Luke. I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. So it's important for us. We can't just open up one page of the Bible and get everything Jesus did in those 40 days. We have to dig in. This, this is our life manual. This is amazing stuff. We need to dig in. What we do on a Sunday is we open up the Word, but we can't just do that like spoon-fit it on a Sunday, flip back our heads. We have to dig in. So if we dig in across all of the Gospels, across the book of Acts, there was all this stuff. But during these 40 days, I feel that Jesus, I believe that Jesus did, he accomplished two really important things during those days. He met with those he loved, and he proved that he was alive, and he's alive today. He hung around with his disciples. The other thing he did is he prepared them and he taught them. And he's preparing us right now. The harvest is white. You know, that valley out there is ready. People are ready. They want to hear the gospel. People are actually very hungry for the gospel. You talk around and just hanging around. I shared last week of that guy who'd walked away like a prodigal and come back. And just, he's hungry again. But you see, let's have a look at these things that we, Pam and I discussed. The first thing I said was spend time quality time with the disciples and in Acts 1 to 3 he did that it said he came there and he was hanging out with them for three for 40 days it said Jesus found it important to hang out for those 40 days before he went up we're digging into the gospel see Luke begins this where he says here literally he proved it he gave them evidence that he was still alive it actually says in the Greek proof of proofs he repeated the word proof of proofs convincing proofs, proving proofs. He actually proved that he was alive with his glorified body. That's why he could walk through the wall and go, hi, hey, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He could walk straight through that wall and prove that the peace was there. But you know, we get a glorified body as well. When the same thing happens to us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44, it says this about us. So we will, we will be... In the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown in the perishable will be raised in the imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown in the natural body. It is raised in the spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's a spiritual body as well. You see, what he did in his glorified body, he was able to, it wasn't a ghost floating in the ether, and we won't be angels floating in the ether. We'll have a glorified body. Jesus could eat food. He could walk through walls. Anyone try to walk through a wall in the natural? Kind of, I tried. I bumped into a few. 
We can't do that, but we can with our glorified body. So Jesus did that. He could instantly appear. It says that in Luke 24, 36. He instantly appeared to his disciples. And in Luke 24, 31, they saw him and he instantly disappeared. So it's kind of worth knowing this glorified body that Jesus had also bore his scars. And we'll look at that when we come. He presented those to Thomas. So we have scars in his hands and inside. He had those scars. So this glorified body was full of the Spirit. And Jesus appeared at least 10 times. At least 10 times. He actually proved evidence when Mary went to the tomb and he wasn't there. She ran back and Peter and John, she told the disciples and Peter and John started having a race. Sorry. And, and the disciple Jesus loved kind of beat Peter. And I wonder what Peter thought about that. But he got there and he wasn't there. But there were these 10 times when he produced evidence and turned up. And in these encounters, he did all sorts of things. So let's have a look just for a moment of these recorded appearances. The first appearance I really found fascinating, that he appeared to Mary Magdalene. And she'd been delivered of seven demons, this Mary Magdalene. She really knew the love of Christ. She really did. And she turned up and she'd run back and told the disciples. Then when she went back, Jesus turned up and she thought he was the gardener. But he wasn't. He was in the garden. He was her gardener. He'd actually tended her soul. And yet she realized who it was. And he, he turned up and he said, don't touch me. We'll talk about that. Because he hadn't ascended to the Father at that time. Then there was the two people, one of whom was named Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. In Mark 16, 12 to 13. And Luke as well, Luke 24, 35. They're on the road and they don't recognize this guy who just joins them for a walk. Until he revealed himself. So we have, he's Mary Magdalene. We've got these two people on the road to Emmaus. Then he, he came to Peter. And we'll have a look at what he did with Peter when he presented him one-to-one. -one. He had a little one-to-one -one encounter with, with Peter off to the side. There were the ten disciples in the upper room without Thomas. And Jesus comes through and presents himself to them. And then there was the 11 disciples because Thomas turned up and they told Thomas, Hey, we met Jesus. And he went, Yeah, right, I don't believe you. I need evidence. I need proof. And sometimes we need, it's okay to ask God, can you show me it? Can you show me the proof that Jesus is alive? So Thomas wants to see that. And when Jesus turns up, he says, okay, Thomas, touch my side, touch my hands, feel the scars, see I'm real. Then there was the seven disciples when they were fishing at the Lake Tiberius in Galilee. And I love that because he was hanging out with them and he cooked some fish. There was the 11 disciples on the Mount of Galilee and he gave them some instructions there. There was the Disciples, before he went on the ascension in the Mount of Olives. And then he presented himself to more than 500 over the next time. So it wasn't just his disciples he presented himself. He presented it to the broader the 500. And you know, we can ask today. We can encounter Jesus and he will present himself. So there's all these things he did, amazing things. And the last one that is recorded there is James, Jesus' brother. He presented himself to him. So he came and he gave proofs. So what did he do in those things? Well, he encouraged the weeping Mary. She was there weeping, and he said, it's me. It's me, Mary. And she was, wow. Then he instructed the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He restored a fallen Peter. He welcomed a doubting Thomas. He didn't say, Thomas, you need to believe. He said, it's okay to doubt, Thomas. Have a look, have a touch, have a feel. He met discouraged disciples, and he ate with them because he had a physical body. Even though it was glorified, it was physically. He could eat food. It didn't just sort of evaporate. He directed the 11 disciples to the mount, on the mountain in Galilee. And he even cooked breakfast 
on the seashore for him. That's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus Christ that we worship today. That's the one we've been singing about this morning, lifting him up. But he came around and we talked about this thing, showing real love to those around us. The, the major command, the biggest command in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your heart and all your mind and love others as yourself. We need to learn to love. And the good news is starting on the 11th of June, straight after kids take over, we're going to start a series, a series on loving like Jesus. How do we love each other in here? That's easier. But how do we love the community? How do we love the unlovable? Jesus was called to love the unlovable. And the other thing we talked about in this love factor was showing a special care for some. And you see, it was through that love and care that this broken relationship between Jesus and Peter was mended. Now, Peter denied Jesus three times before he went to the cross. He was asked, do you know him? Aren't you with that guy? No. Nah. And the cock crowed, and Peter was broken, and he was weeping. And yet, when Jesus presents himself, there they are on the beach, and Jesus is shouting, cast your nets over there. And they bring the fish in, and they say, it's the Lord. And Peter dives off the boat, and he gets there. And in John 21, verses 15 to 19, I've preached about it before, Jesus actually restores Peter, and he actually recalls him. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And we're going to talk more about that in coming weeks. But do you love me? And eventually Peter goes, well, I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep. So he was about to start a new church. This was the church. And he's about to launch this church. And Peter is his chosen guy to start that. He wanted to leave a legacy. He wanted to make sure that Peter was secure in his love for Jesus and secure in the way he would lead. He would lead like Jesus. He wouldn't lead with pride and arrogance. So there's Peter being restored. And I mentioned our spiritual dad. His name was Bruce. And a little while before he died, because he knew he was going to be with the Lord, we spent some time. And when I first met him, he checked me out. He checked me out. I went to his house for a cup of tea. I was introduced by a Baptist pastor. He said, you need to meet this guy. He's a builder. And I went to meet him. And uh, the Baptist pastor was late. I don't know if that's something in the Baptist world, but he was late, and I got there first. And Bruce welcomed me in, he made me a cup of tea, and then he started asking me some really hard questions like, you know, you're going to get involved with dealing with people who've had heavy-duty issues, yes? And he's asking me all these questions, and I was really two and a half, three years as being a believer. And I said, excuse me, I'm a policeman. I interrogate people for a living because I was here on a career break. Why are you asking me all this stuff? That's what I do for a living. He said, well... He said, God's told me you're going to work with these difficult people. God's told me I've got to help you and walk alongside you, which he did for 20-odd years. And he said, but God's also asked me to make sure you're not flaky. You're not going to fall away when the going gets tough. And I think Jesus was restoring Peter because Peter's life was going to get tough. And he also alluded to how Peter was going to die. And he also told him that John wasn't going to go that way. So he's in this thing, making sure he wants to restore the relationships. And I think 40 days for us, we need to know our relationships are secure. The other thing we talked about was leaving a legacy. I, for me, I, years ago, I was, oh, I'm going to leave a legacy for my family. It's going to be all these finances. And sorry, my family, those finances on there, I could have made millions of dollars and put them in the bank. But the legacy that we're talking about here is a legacy of love. It's a legacy that we can... Leave, And that's what Tim Keller has just gone and left with people. He's left a legacy of a life-serving Jesus. That's what I want to be known as, a legacy of 
that guy was with Jesus. He might not have had all the, you know, the fancy this and the qualifications in that, but he loved Jesus. You know, if we get back into the book of Acts, a bit later on, after the Holy Spirit has come, and we get to celebrate the Holy Spirit next week, and just in that day of Pentecost. But after the Holy Spirit, there was two guys, and they said, hmm, they look like edu- uneducated men, but I know they've been with Jesus. That's the legacy I want to have. Don't about you. I want to have that legacy of being known. That guy, he hung out with Jesus. So Jesus gave them this legacy. He taught about the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33 says, But first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. And Romans 14.17 tells us what the kingdom of God is. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and Holy Spirit. Righteousness gets a double mention. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because righteousness is his righteousness for our sin, the great exchange. Seek, get peace, peace for our internal turmoil. Get joy for our healing. But again, hanging out with Bruce, that was what he instilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And in uh, Matthew 22, 36 to 40, you've got the Pharisees, because they love to dig in and stir the, stir the stuff because they had all the knowledge. We don't need knowledge. We need Jesus. But the Pharisees asked him this. They said, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. The gospel, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is all about the gospel of love. The gospel of love is what we should be propelled. Loving that community out there. You know, I said last week that people won't remember whether the, the live stream was scratchy in 20 years. They won't remember what was preached here. They'll want to know, did Keith love Jesus and did he love me? Or replace your name. Did you love Jesus? Did you love the people around you? The kingdom of, the kingdom of God is about this love. So why did Jesus talk more about the kingdom in Acts 1, 6 to 7, it says this. This is part of our reading. Now they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, is it time for you to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that our father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when it comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And kind of 24 years ago, God kind of threw that out the window and sent Pam and I to the ends of the earth. You can't get much further from England to Australia. It is for us. We came here. He cut the middle bit out. But why is Jesus talking about this stuff? Why is he actually talking about the kingdom of God? He spent three and a half years teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. He said, follow me. Come for a walk with me. I'll teach you about the kingdom of God. Why is he back on that subject? Because they didn't get it. They simply didn't get it. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They thought that he was still going to come riding on a horse with a big sword in his hand. He's going to chop off a few Romans and he's going to restore Israel to its former glory. That's not the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to reestablish. On the day, there will be a physical kingdom. We say in Revelation, there's a new heaven and new earth that will be coming down. We'll have all that stuff. There'll be no more sin and no more pain. We're not quite here yet. But it wasn't that. It wasn't for the disciples to know. This kingdom was the kingdom that Jesus had inside him. 
This was the kingdom he wants to put in us. We have the kingdom of God inside us, the kingdom that is within. Colossians 1.27 says to them, To them who God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, the mystery of the kingdom of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Reinforcing that the kingdom comes from within. And Jesus spent these 40 days to add on to three and a half years of teaching kingdom values, kingdom authority, moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And we, uh, next week, Pente- Pentecost comes. That's, the disciples haven't got the Holy Spirit. They haven't had Pentecost yet. They get a taste of it shortly. But moving in the gifts of the Spirit, we really need to move in the fruits of the Spirit before we move in the gifts. If we move in the gifts, and I've seen gifts operate, and people have been hurt, and damage and prophecy without love. You know, words of knowledge without love cuts, cuts people to shreds. We need to move in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, before we get there. You know, some people say, well, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit because that's what you're talking about. Yes, we must. But the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. We have a, our, our faithful mother of God who's, who's walked, our spiritual mom, She's walked on this planet for 84 years, never spoken in tongues, but she's one of the most godly women. She is full of the Holy Spirit and she moves in the gifts. But we need the fruit before we get the gifts. So the importance of the Holy Spirit is in, contained in this scripture that we read today. In, in 7 to 9, it says this. Again, I'll say to you, you will not know the times and date, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes. The kingdom of God was one of the highest things. We could spend weeks on digging into the kingdom of God. It was one of the highest priorities for the disciples to know then. It's one of the highest priorities for us to know now. The kingdom of God is at hand. The hope of glory, Christ in us. The kingdom is here. It's here and now. It's not waiting to get up there. We can carry the presence of God wherever we go. The kingdom of God. So how would we prepare our loved ones? If we were going, we have 40 days left. It's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. How do we prove and prepare for our departure? Well, Jesus prepared with the Great Commission. He said that in the the Great Commission, he refers it to the, the, the Great Commandment he gave to his apostles. We call it the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it says this, Make disciples of the nations. Go make disciples of the nations. Each one of us is a disciple maker for nations. Not, we don't, we're not called to fill these pews with Christians. We're not called to do that. We're called to actually make disciples out there in the marketplace, in the workplace. Make disciples for nations. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism was so important. Baptism isn't, is so important now. Water baptism. If you haven't been baptized by water, full immersion. I argue with God about that because I'm a good Anglican. I was brought up in the Anglican church. I wasn't a good Anglican because I didn't get saved till I was 36. But I was saved in an Anglican church and I'd had the sprinkling and I argued with God for years. And when we got to the Philippines, I'm arguing with him on missions and I'm in the mission thing and I've got this thing, you've got to get baptized. And I kept arguing with him. Anyone argue with God? Do you ever win? No. I would like just cut out the middleman, get rid of the spirit of stupid and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. So I was invited to this hot springs. 
up in the mountains in the Philippines. I said, that's nice. What's that for? Oh, we're going to have this baptism. We're going to baptize 18 Filipino youth. And we're going to baptize you too. Uh, boom. It was my time. And it was the 31st of December, 1999. How about that? Moving into the new year, water baptism. But we're talking about a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit here. And he teaches them also in there to observe everything, all about love. Love your neighbor. He says, go out there, teach and observe all the things I've commanded you. And he commanded them, the greatest commandment was love. We're going to move on to that in a few weeks. So there's a few things in here. As well as doing that and preparing them, he also prepared them. Jesus commanded them to wait in this scripture. In 4 and 5, he says, wait in this room. Do not go. Do not move. Wait. And they waited for another 10 days. And the Holy Spirit comes sweeping through. We'll talk about that next week. But it came crashing through. He said, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unless we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, then we can't go out there and serve a, a broken world. But he told them to wait. And then he was taken up. And he went up and they're all standing there going, because huh? they hadn't had it. They're just amazed that he just departed. And he said, okay, go to the upper room. The angel turns up and shakes them out of their stunned mullet look. Come on, go to the upper room, wait there. And that's where they waited. They waited for 10 days until the Holy Spirit came and swept through. Again in Acts 10.42, a bit earlier, it says he commanded them to preach. Go and preach. Preach what was ordained. Ordained by God, that God was coming to judge the living and the dead. See, what do we preach? They preach the gospel. They didn't have a New Testament. He was teaching them. Jesus was bringing out the old things in the Old Testament that pointed to him. In Luke 4, 24, 27, he, he told them about his death and his resurrection that fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. He was using the Old Testament. And I love that verse in Luke 4, 24, 32. It says this, they were on the road to Emmaus. Talked about it earlier. And they said to one another, after they'd encountered Jesus, you know, they realized it was Jesus, did our hearts not burn? Is your heart burning this morning? Because when you encounter Jesus, your heart burns. You know, my heart burned on the road to Emmaus when he opened the scriptures to us. We learned, learned that between the death and resurrection, Jesus hadn't gone up to the Father. That's why he, when Mary Magdalene went, he said, don't touch me. Don't, don't touch. I haven't, haven't yet ascended. I haven't yet got there. And Jesus gave, he did give the disciples a foretaste of what was to come. In John 20, 22, he said this. He said, after he talked to them, he then breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he gave them this foretaste. Jesus displayed everything. He was all-knowing. He, he could move around. The disciples, you know, they were out there fishing. And he turns up and he says, have you caught anything? And they went, nope. And he said, throw your nets on the other side. They threw their nets on the side and they couldn't contain the fish. He knew everything. He knew that, you know, he restored Peter. So he knew what sort of death Peter was going to die. So he was there. And he said, get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Pentecost was the first filling. But who leaks in this room? I leak. I leak all the time. I need constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and it's Acts 2, 1 to 4. There's a filling. 4, 28, 8, 15. Acts 10, 44. And Acts 19, 6. They were all Fillings and refillings of the Holy Spirit. We need to get infilled with the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. This valley needs people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And a constant filling up. And so the last thing we, we talked about there was assuring that we would meet again to prepare his disciples for his ascension. Jesus spent that time preparing. He said, you know, I'm coming again. But I've got to go up there. I've got to hang out. Continue in the faith. 
And then Jesus went up, and as I say, his disciples looked up at him and said, what's going on? He understood. He understood that his disciples needed love. But this wasn't just about the leaders and the disciples. It was about the broader church. And he, he revealed himself to 500 people. And guess what? In 2,000 years, he keeps revealing himself. He reveals himself in the middle of deserts to Muslims who've never had the gospel preached because he's, he's coming again. So this community of believers needed this care. They needed this love. Really, it's trying to encourage us all to meet him. So, having said all those five things in conclusion, let's, let's have a little look. He met, he met people and he proved, he met his disciples, he proved he was alive. And he's proving that today. Acts 1 to 3, he presented him, he showed himself convincingly he was very much alive. And my questions today as we finish, yeah, looking back on the 40 days, because we've just finished those 40 days of Pentecost, how's Jesus met with you? How has he met with you in these last 40 days? Has he encountered you? Have you encountered him in these last 40 days? How have you met with him? Has he encountered you and showed you the real tangible ways that Jesus wants to touch you? you know, this was a critical time in history, but it's been a critical time for these last 40 years. Jesus wants to touch us. For me, God's renewed dreams and visions. He's, he's renewed dreams and visions for many, many years ago. He's spoken about prophetic words before we had the UK and how they're coming into fulfillment now. But more importantly, over these last 40 days, I just felt this sense of really renewed closeness and intimacy that God wants me to keep growing. One of the scriptures he gave me, was in, it's in Revelation 4.1. It says, There before me stood an open door in heaven, and I heard the voice that I'd once heard saying, Come up here, and I'll show you how it's going to be. And when, when the Lord took me up into that place, he said, don't, don't look at other people. Don't compare yourself, Keith. You don't need to do that. You are you. I created you for such a time as this. He's created each one of you for such a time as this. God wants to encounter us. He wants to actually meet with us on a daily basis. So how about you? How, how is your soul? How is your encountering with God? The other thing is he prepared and he taught them. Jesus also took considerable time, as I said, worked through those things. So what's God been teaching in these 40 days since Easter in, in Pentecost, in your quiet times? As I said, we can come here on a Sunday and we can go through the scriptures and it's cool. But what's God doing in you and me in our times alone with him? What's he been speaking to you? Has he been speaking to you about life, himself, the kingdom of God? Conversations I've had, I, I just wrote a few notes of conversations I've had with people from this church in the last few weeks that have been really encouraging, by the way. Most of the conversations I have here are really encouraging, but these are some of the conversations. What does it mean? And someone said to me, I've been talking to God and God's been talking to me about what it looks like to live a kingdom-orientated life. We haven't even got to talking about the kingdom of God. What does it look like when you're in the kingdom of God? It doesn't look like the world's success. It doesn't look like that. One of the other things was, I've been taught not only to love God, but to love my neighbor, quite literally, as I love myself. And I'm learning to love myself. It's an amazing testimony. Someone is learning to love themselves. Another one, to live a life of simplicity and generosity. My spiritual mom and dad, they had a motto in life, our spiritual. They said that we live simply, that people could simply live. And what Jess was talking about this morning was literally people in this valley who need to simply live. Yeah, we, we encounter people. She encounters people in a, 
everyday work, all of us encounter people who sometimes just need our simplicity and our generosity. They don't need a, a bunch of fancy words. They just need us to show the love of Christ, to actually touch them with our hands and with our feet. And that's what school chaplains do. That's not only what they do. That's what you can do in your businesses. Maybe it's what's truly important about your life right now. Maybe God wants to talk to you about rearranging and reorganizing your, your priorities and your values and getting them in line with his. Because for many years I used to say, hey God, I'm doing this mission, can you bless it? Rather than saying, hey God, we're at YCBC, what's on your heart for the valley? What is it that's on your heart, God? How can we fit into your plan rather than having our plans and asking him to bless them? So then live simply, ask God. You know, Maybe, maybe God is teaching you that he is the true owner of your business. That actually your business, and I think Steve actually prayed something, when we lift up praise to God, we can't give God anything at all. We can't give him finances that he hasn't already given us. Everything he gives you, all your 100% of your pay packet, God gave it to you. So we can only give back what we're giving. And God said, maybe, maybe if you run your business in a kingdom way, it will flourish because God will bless that sort of thing. Maybe he's teaching you that you're not the provider for your family. I struggled with that for years, trying to provide for my family. And God said, take your hands off the wheel, Keith. Get real. You know, just worship me. Come up here and see how it's going to be. And I will provide. If you take care of my business, this was the deal we had on, on my paddock when everything was going awry. He said, you take care of my business from here on in, and I'll take care of yours. And do you know what? He's been faithful to that. He's never let me down, never let us down. Perhaps the Lord's teaching us to trust him 100% as this church. What does it look like? What, just think about that for a moment. What would it really look like to trust Jesus 100% with everything in your life, your finances, your family, your health, everything? Sometimes that's a challenge. But I think God wants us to do that. So in Acts 20, verse 35, to finish, he says, you know, maybe we're learning to, it's better to receive. Sometimes we're all good at trying to give, but sometimes God wants us to be on the receiving end. So in this verse, in Acts 20, 35, it says this, in everything I did, I showed you by the ki uh, this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is blessed to give than to receive. So it's more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe we just need to start to think about how we can do that. So last few questions. Just I'm going to finish and we're going to move into a time of communion because maybe you want to bring this stuff to the Lord. So I've got the last few questions for you. They're probably for me too, I've got to be honest. What do you sense the Lord is preparing you for in this season? What is it that's happening? What is God preparing us? Because you know what? I've got a little bit of news here. I'm not the font of all knowledge. I'm not. I'm just, Pam and I are just people who've answered the call of God. We don't have a plan B. We've come here to love and work with, with people here. And we have been embraced and we feel so, so loved in this new family that God has put us in. He's just parachuted us in. But it's like, what is God preparing us all? Because all of us have that on our heart. Where is God leading you? Sometimes people get led to. Some people get led through. Sometimes people come to a place for a season and then they move because we don't want to hold on to things that God is doing. Remember I said before, God, what are you up to? What do I have to let go of? What do I have to hold on to? You know, where are you experiencing that sort of transition? As we approach Pentecost, 
my prayer is this. I, I prayed this a few times this week, but I want to share. This will be my prayer. Lord, for YCBC, for, for this valley, for 2582, that we will be empowered, Lord. We will be your empowered disciples, empowered from your Holy Spirit, empowered from on high, and that you would give us the grace and the empowerment and your continual leadership to lead us through this new season, to lead us through this new season, Lord. So I ask, Lord, that you would guide us and you would speak to us individually as leaders of this church, Lord, that we're leading YCBC into the next season. But God, would you empower us to see those out there, Lord, with your eyes and, and to, to really change this valley for the better. Lord, to not hold back, to not hold on to the things of what was because you are moving constantly forward, Lord. And you're moving and you're taking ministries and you're reshaping them, Lord, and you're reshaping soul to see kingdom viewpoints. So I ask, Lord, as we, we come and we move into this time of communion, we move into this time where we, we just break bread and we, we give thanks, Lord, because you did it all on the cross. When you, when you said it was finished, it was finished, but you, you took the care and time to come back down and spend 40 days teaching, teaching about the kingdom of God. The real stuff, Lord. The, the kingdom of God that is at hand right now. Right here in this place. And in this valley. We don't have to go and do some fancy stuff. We can encounter you. And we can be led by you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.